And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day uh, when uh, one of our leading political commentators actually says Joe Biden is uh, not merely a poor choice, but a dangerous choice for Democrats. Why? Well, part of it has to do with uh, what the majority of Americans, Democrats, independents, and Republicans believe when they watch Joe Biden functioning recently. Uh, we will get to that issue and to why it is that Nikki Haley uh, says that she is not really running against Joe Biden uh, for president. She's running against somebody else. And no, she doesn't mention Donald Trump. We will get to that. We will be speaking about the crisis in downtown Portland and the crisis in downtown Seattle. In downtown Seattle, we'll be talking with the Washington Policy Center about what Seattle needs to do to revitalize the business district downtown. And uh, in downtown Portland, they're trying to actually make it illegal to use fentanyl, heroin, methamphetamines, or even marijuana and mushrooms in terms of public uh, displays of uh, drug abuse. But the problem, the state has uh, uh, preempted the city of Portland with uh, its broad sweeping drug legalization uh, policy. What works? What does the future bring? Uh, we'll be talking about that. And uh, we will also be talking about the soothing and sometimes inspiring soul messages that people get from their favorite songs in terms of what this shows us about our most prominent presidential candidates who responded to this survey by Politico. We will get to that. Uh, first up, Karl Rove, who certainly knows politics and the way it works. It was his leadership uh, of the George Bush campaigns in 2000 and in 2004 that um, really provided some uh, inspiring success for the Republican Party that made a difference. Uh, do you know that President Bush in 2004 was the only Republican candidate for president since his father, who actually won a majority of the popular vote. Yeah, that's right. His father won a majority of the popular vote in 1988, running against Michael Dukakis. But then in 1992 uh, and 1996, two losses to Bill Clinton, in the year 2000, President Bush won, but he got fewer votes than Al Gore. Then he won his majority in 2004. And then since that time, uh, Republican candidates have uh, never won an actual majority of the popular vote. Uh, may that change. May that change and change in a hurry. And it could because, as Karl Rove writes, Biden is a dangerous choice for Democrats. He writes, there's terrible news for President Biden and for Donald Trump in the August 30th Wall Street Journal poll. 
it found only 39% of voters had a favorable opinion and 58% had an unfavorable opinion of each of them. Isn't that a remarkable? In this poll, they both are incredibly negative, but incredibly negative to the same extent where people have an unfavorable opinion by uh, a margin of uh, 19 points. The poll is particularly brutal for Mr. Biden. When asked if he is mentally up for the job of president, 60% said no, 36% said yes. And by an overwhelming majority margin, 73% to 22%, they think Mr. Biden is, quote, too old to run for president, let alone to be president. These matters won't get better. These numbers won't get better as the 2024 election approaches. Campaign wizardry can make up for some candidate shortcomings, but no political magic can hide this president's age, his declining verbal skills, and his increasing frailty. Mr. Biden is vulnerable on policy grounds, too. Only 30% approve of his handling of securing the border. On inflation and rising costs, he clocks in at 34% approval. Voters give Mr. Biden 36% for growing the middle class and, and uh, dealing with China, 37% on the economy, and 39% on handling Social Security and Medicare. It's hardly guaranteed that uh, Mr. Biden's brain trust may believe these numbers will improve, but that's hardly guaranteed because Team Biden may also think uh, Trump has so many uh, negatives himself that a scorched earth campaign against him will leave Mr. Biden the lesser of evils. On paper, that could work. After all, Mr. Trump is thought to be corrupt by 58% of voters, while 57% believe he is not honest. Moreover, a majority of voters already believe three of Mr. Trump's indictments are legitimate. Isn't that astonishing? 56% believe it's legitimate to be indict him for allegedly taking classified documents and obstructing government efforts to retrieve them. 55% for allegedly attempting to overturn the 2020 election. And... Uh, 55% for allegedly trying to reverse his Georgia loss. These numbers won't likely improve for Mr. Trump as his lawyers battle in courtrooms next year. Republicans can't afford this. Uh, Mr. Trump lost in 2020 with 94% uh, of GOP support. In other words, he did very well among the GOP last year. But now... Between 21% to 26% of Republicans think these indictments are legitimate. That suggests that he has a far bigger defection from uh, the Republican Party in, uh, than he had in 2020. And in 20, 2020, that 96% of Republican support, 94% GOP support, still wasn't enough for him to win the election. There's also a significant contest over whether Republicans should find a different standard bearer than Mr. Trump. Democrats should seriously consider doing the same thing with Mr. Biden, writes Karl Rove. There are risks to trying to replace an incumbent, 
Jimmy Carter was similarly plagued in 1979. The economy was horrible. The Soviets were on the move around the globe, and voters thought Carter was weak and overwhelmed by events. But the primary challenge by Senator Edward Kennedy flopped. A Democratic primary opponent, to challenge Mr. Biden, a Democratic primary opponent, must signal respect for the aging president rather than anger. He or she should express great affection for Mr. Biden and gratitude for his service, but say what many Democrats know in their hearts, the party and the country would be better off if Democrats went with a younger nominee. This plan could backfire, as Kennedy's did, but a fresh face, especially a proven office holder who can appeal to independents and disaffected Republicans, could hold the White House for Democrats. The two most important people in getting Mr. Biden off the field. And who are they? And uh, why are they not likely to work to take him off the field? And replaced by whom? Uh, we will get to that and more coming up on the MedMed Show. Your daily dose of debate. Bingo! Don't bingo me. The Michael MedMed Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. An overwhelming majority of the American people, it's close to three-fourths of everybody, including a big majority of Democrats, want Joe Biden to retire and enjoy his retirement. Uh, they do not want to see him on the ballot for Democrats. Carl Rove makes the point that the two most important people in getting Mr. Biden off the field may be, of course, First Lady Jill Biden and Valerie Biden-Owen, who is his sister and key advisor in every campaign. They're probably the only people who could convince Mr. Biden that having defeated Mr. Trump in 2020 and in their telling of things, gotten America back on track, it's time for him to call it a day. If he did, Democrats would treat Mr. Biden with reverence, uh, bowied by considerable relief. Uh, Mr. Biden stepping aside is admittedly unlikely. His wife and sister may want him to run. He must have considered and rejected retiring before announcing he would seek re-election. However, it's clear that most Americans, including a huge number of Democrats, believe he's too old to run. They're practically shouting it. The president and his team ignore them at their party's peril. I, th I think that's entirely true. And it, it leads to... Sentiments like those express, expressed by Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, in a series of polls recently, has been shown to be by far the strongest Republican to run against Joe Biden. She's the only Republican with a, uh, uh, an advantage over Joe Biden beyond the margin of error. She's ahead according to the CNN poll, uh, by six points. Uh, here is uh, what uh, Governor Haley, this is clip two, has to say about that. 
the one person they're worried about in a Republican primary is Nikki Haley. I mean, look, you should be worried. I would stomp all over Joe Biden. I would call Kamala Harris out like I've been calling, calling Kamala Harris out. But everybody needs to know this is really me running against Kamala Harris for president. That's who we're looking at. That should send a chill up everyone's spine. That's why Americans need to care about what happens in this primary. Uh, what uh, Americans need to care about what happens in this primary right is the prospect of Kamala Harris as president of the United States. Uh, there's a piece in uh, New York Times uh, that uh, actually talks about Nikki Haley's remarkable record of political success coming out of nowhere, uh, working in her parents' business as an accountant, and then running uh, in, a, in a whole series of races she wasn't supposed to win, and because she's a very gifted politician, uh, winning those races. There's a Democratic state senator uh, named Joel Lawry, and remember, he's a Democrat, who said that uh, she is as tactical, talented, and ambitious of a politician as you will ever meet. Still, writes the Times, what worked for Ms. Haley in the past may not be enough in 2024, as she positions herself as both a friend to Mr. Trump and the candidate best able to move the party beyond him in order to beat President Biden. I can understand why she might have supreme confidence in her ability to win right now, said Adolphus Belk, a political analyst and political science professor at... Uh, Winthrop Uni University in Rock Hill, South Carolina, recalling her strong performances at campus forums during her first bid for governor and her later as governor. The, but the uh, same Tea Party wave Ms. Haley tapped as part of her rise, grassroots energy with deep strains of uh, grievance that Ms. Haley and other Republican presidential candidates have continued to downplay, that created the space, uh, says the New York Times, for Mr. Trump's climb to the White House and has allowed him to retain his dominance in the party and presidential field. Uh, whether that dominance is going to be dented at all uh, by, um, uh, by some of the prosecutions as they continue against President Trump the criminal prosecutions and the civil prosecutions as well. There's four and six, a total of six. It's, it's a lot to deal with. This time around, a bright spot has been a robust network of donors, and Ms. Haley raised more than $1 million in less than 72 hours after the debate, according to her campaign. She has held more than 90 events in the early states of Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and Ms. Haley's campaign says the plan now is to keep up the pace. A super PAC backing her candidacy has started to pour money into advertising with more than $9 million planned in spending in Iowa and New Hampshire from July to October, according to an analysis by Ad Impact, a media tracking firm. She's already qualified for the second GOP debate which is scheduled for September 27th. That debate is going to be very important, partially because there will be fewer participants. Uh, there are fewer participants, for instance,
uh, Governor uh, Bergram of uh, uh, of North Dakota is not going to be on that stage. Uh, former Governor Asa Hutchinson is not going to be on that stage. It will be a smaller group, and uh, and and an important group for selecting uh, the candidate for the Republican Party who can actually defeat Joe Biden. Meanwhile, I've mentioned this uh, uh, selection of soul-stirring songs, and these are not supposed to be uh, the uh, songs that people like the best, that they simply like the best, but the ones that send a deeper message to them that really reveals uh, their inner self. Uh, part of the rules of this uh, exercise, sponsored by Politico magazine, was that uh, for each candidate, you can only choose one song by uh, an artist. In other words, uh, Chris Christie is such a fanatic follower of Bruce Springsteen, he not only lists Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen first, but he would probably do a lot more. But the rules are, no, you have to have other people. Uh, Chris Christie's favorite songs, Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen, I Saw Her Standing There by The Beatles, Gimme Shelter by The Rolling Stones, Dream On by Aerosmith, Pink Houses by John Cougar Mellencamp, Pressure by Billy Joel, Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi, Run to You by Brian Adams, Every Teardrop is a Waterfall by Coldplay, In the Air Tonight, and very appropriately for a politician, Let's Go Crazy by Prince and the Revolution. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, there's a lot that needs to be done to help the downtowns that uh, were once considered exemplary, really, across the country. Downtowns of Seattle and of Portland. And Portland, of course, they have an even worse situation. Uh, they uh, they uh, have a situation uh, in in Portland that um, they've just passed an emergency ordinance banning public hard drug use. Now, why did they have to do that? We will get to that. But first off, uh, Seattle with uh, Mark Harmsworth, who is director of the Small Business Center at the Washington Policy Center. He uh, served two terms in the Washington legislature, where his focus was on transportation and technology. He has uh, also been active uh, in the Everett Community College Foundation Board. He has been active on the Mills uh, Creek City Council, and he has a long career in business with uh, both Amazon and Microsoft, and he is the owner of a small business. Mark, thank you for making the time for us. Uh, we... Um, we don't uh, need an emergency ordinance in Seattle to make uh, hard drug use illegal, but we certainly do need uh, better law enforcement, don't we? 
Yeah, and thanks for having me on today. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the city council in in Seattle has definitely been um, sort of taking the brakes off and 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 not uh, allowing the police to do their jobs. I mean, you've seen the videos, I'm sure, of folks driving down the sidewalks and just the, the rampant misuse. I had a personal friend whose business that you may have seen that on the news too was uh, during the chop season was uh, attacked. Um, and this comes down to basically the, the policies of the city council. And then you see um, them just creating an environment that just doesn't really encourage small business to come to Seattle and, and be there. And you end up with this uh, microcosm of, of crime with non-enforcement and laws because of the policies and small businesses leaving. We've got some big businesses now that are asking their employees to come back downtown. But it makes this big uh, mess that uh, it's just getting worse down there, unfortunately, because Seattle, like you were saying earlier, used to be a great place that you take your family, but you, you just don't want to do it now until they start enforcing these laws, which they could do. They just refuse not to. Um, you're going to see the situation get worse. Meanwhile, will there be some help by all of the uh, the, the work that they're they're doing, building that parkway? Uh, along uh, the waterfront, uh, Alaska Way. And uh, I was reading today in the Seattle Times about all the private money that is being poured into that. That's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, if they bring the police in and make sure that they enforce just the basic drug laws, you're not going to want to take your family down there and, and eat at a restaurant or uh, a walk along the front if you don't feel safe. And so all of this comes back to these small businesses, the areas for recreation, restaurants and retail spaces. They all need to have uh, law enforcement in order to function correct correctly. And it's not the police here. It's, it's the city council. I want to be clear. The police want to work on this. You know, the, the downtown folks want to work on that. It's the city council that's uh, defunding the police. They've had to do a turnaround in the last few years, obviously. But the business groups, um, like the Downtown City Association, they're fully aware of what's going on, and, and they're talking about how do we get more people back down there again, and it comes down to law enforcement, basic crime, uh, arrest criminals for committing uh, crimes, and, and Davison, the, the prosecutor, has certainly been starting to do that in the last year or so down there, but uh, that's got to continue, and we just got to clean the streets up as well, and then you'll start seeing people come back down businesses will start to thrive, the restaurants, the retailers. You won't be seeing folks like Nordstrom's pull out like they have done in some other cities. And uh, we can revitalize the downtown. That's my sincere hope is that we can get this turned around and uh, make Seattle that great place to visit again. Uh, how, how, when, when you talk about this situation in Seattle and you contrast the situation uh, of downtown Seattle with uh, downtown Bellevue, uh, which uh, seems to have more amenities and new businesses and new structures. What's the key difference that allows the city across uh, across Lake Washington to do so much better? Well, I think back to an example here. If you recall a few years back, uh, Bellevue Square, they had one of those uh, mobs that came in and, and tore up the mall and stole a bunch of stuff. Well, they came out very aggressively after that. And, you know, business owners uh, like Kemper Freeman, who owns Bell Square, Kemper Development Company, worked closely with law enforcement to make sure that those shoplifters and those folks that caused all the damage, uh, they were prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And it sends a very clear message. You don't mess around 
in Bellevue. And so what you see is folks knowing that they're not going to get prosecuted, knowing they're not going to get chased down in Seattle because of the, the way that they're enforcing the laws. And Bellevue now uh, you know, enjoys, and they're starting to see businesses move from Seattle to Bellevue because it's a safer place for their workers to work and, and to shop and to eat. And so um, that's really the key difference. Also, I think the city councils can really focus on tax law and helping small businesses succeed. The uh, Downtown Seattle Association has proposed a B&O tax holiday to try and encourage businesses back into Seattle. You can uh, do things like that, obviously. You can also um, uh, help these businesses by not putting bike lanes in front of them. Uh, that's one thing that really helps, making sure that folks can get to these businesses. And not passing levies like the, the $970 million levy that Seattle's proposing, which is only going to get passed on to consumers and just continue to raise the cost of everything, which is very expensive right now. Uh, but at the fundamental level, we need more police officers, don't we? We're understaffed at the police department in Seattle. Absolutely, um, we uh, they they need to be hiring officers at a good clip, and they need to stand behind their officers as well. Um, I think that's why we saw um, Chief Cameron leave originally because she just didn't have the resources to enforce the laws that were on the books. And that's a policy change really at the Seattle City Council level. We've got these elections coming up this year. We'll see what happens as people vote in new council members. And we've got several seats that are open. And hopefully these guys will restore the funding to police officers and, and get them out there on the streets. Just make them more visible. And I think prosecuting even petty crimes, you start thinking about what happened back in the 90s in New York with a lot of the broken window things that at the time Mayor Giuliani put in place. That really cleaned up their crime in New York City. Seattle can do the same. If they want to enforce the basic laws that are on the books, increase the funding for the police to get those officers on the street, and make it a community activity to keep, keep the streets clean and, and uh, get rid of these, these criminals and the mess that's on the streets in Seattle. And maybe painting over some of the graffiti. Uh, you're, it's also important, is it not, to continue the policy of trying to clean out some of the homeless encampments there was one that they uh, just there was 20 acres of homeless encampment uh is don't we need to do something about that as well uh, absolutely and and you see uh, i live in a small suburban town north of seattle mill creek and we see graffiti occasionally here, and I'm on it straight away. I call the city council and say, hey, let's get this, let's get these off the walls. Let's get them, they, they tag things with these things the gangs do, and just cleaning it up because it makes for a, a safer, more appropriate, you know, a more attractive community. And with the homeless things, you know, sometimes it's tough love. Um, you've got to get them into a program, get them cleaned up. And there's a lot of different things that let different communities doing. For example, uh, Executive Downline in Pierce County has been working with local nonprofits to get some of the tiny homes up in Skagit County, the same thing, and get these folks off the streets and back onto a path where they can re-enter society and, and, uh, and get them to a good job. Amen. Mark Harmsworth, director of the Small Business Center at the Washington Policy Center. Find out more. Go to our website. Look for the green banner. Don't stay on the sidelines. Washington Policy Center. We will be right back. The Stones, and we're going to have a new album from Keith and Mick and Ron Wood, the remaining Stones. 
with actually they're playing some uh, uh, audio with and their new album which is called angry uh, their new album first one in 18 years and it's going to include some of the uh, drum stylings of the late Charlie Watts so uh, uh, and plus uh, some contributions by Lady Gaga and other worthies and uh, again Mick is the same age as President Biden <laughs> and uh, somehow I, I mean I'm not suggesting uh, Mick Jagger as President of the United States or Prime Minister of Great Britain but uh, still if um, Biden could somehow channel some of the energy level that uh, Mick Jagger maintains and and his colleagues uh, his longtime partner Keith Richard uh, it would be very, very helpful for President Biden. Maybe it's the eight children that Mick has that helped to keep him, keep him young. According to reports, he also runs eight miles a day. And uh, may we all reach the milestone of 80 with uh, that kind of energy. And uh, frankly, I think I think the world is looking forward to the New Stones album should be uh, extraordinarily interesting. I'll tell you what else is interesting is this fight uh, involving Elon Musk threatening to sue the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. Now, why would X uh, and the, the owner of uh, a motor company want to make trouble with the Anti-Defamation League? which, by the way, is a Jewish-founded uh, organization. It's a nonprofit, but it's dedicated to um, stop defamation of groups of every kind. I mean, they, uh, they oppose uh, bigotry based on race and uh, cultural background and nationality, you name it. Uh, here is uh, the uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, who is the chief executive of the ADL, talking about the threat that uh, that uh, Elon Musk has put forward that he is going to sue the ADL for defamation. Why? Because he believes that the advertising revenue, which has absolutely tanked on X that the advertising revenue has gone down because of ADL criticism. Uh, listen, this is clip four. The reality is QAnon enthusiasts, conspiracy theorists, hardened anti-Semites, all of these types of people who were under rocks before are now out in the open. And so again, when you have Nazis chanting ban the ADL, when you have swattings of synagogues, when you have bomb threats against Jewish institutions, and the Jewish holidays of Rosh Hashanah are just a few weeks away, that's why the community is on edge, and that's why ADL will not shrink, we will not hesitate, we will be ferocious in fighting hate. And the empty threats and frivolous lawsuits, they don't scare us. And you know, like you said, Elon Musk truly is the wealthiest man in the world. He's one of the most brilliant innovators of our time. He controls one of the most powerful media platforms on the planet. We're just a small nonprofit. So blaming the Jews, if you will, that's classic scapegoating. It's not what happened here, but we won't stop, you know, fighting all forms of hate because that's what we do. 
Okay, there, there's a piece in Daily Beast that goes along with this under the headline. It's by David Rothkopf. It's under the headline, Enough Advertisers and Governments Must Dump Elon Musk. Uh, he writes, We've seen enough, Elon Musk. You are a bad guy. Uh, Twitter has suffered massive advertising losses because of your toxic cocktail of blending really dumb business decisions with other decisions meant to support your racist, anti-democratic, sometimes infantile political and personal agendas. Indeed, everything we need to know about your character was revealed over this past weekend when you sought to blame your losses on someone else and that you chose to do so in a way that played to the lowest impulses of an anti-Semitic mob. It was one of your ugliest displays, and that is saying something. It won't be easy to get the world to divest from you. You are, after all, the world's richest man. Uh, you blame the Anti-Defamation League for anti-Semitism on Twitter because, wait for it, they complained about anti-Semitism on Twitter. Your posts taking issue with uh, the ADL stance included amplifying views that called the ADL pro-Hitler. You then blamed the nearly two-thirds fall in Twitter ad revenues primarily on the ADL and threatened to sue them for defamation. You say you are not an anti-Semite, Elon, but we know better because one who amplifies anti-Semites promotes grotesque and unfounded anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and tropes and then actually seeks to blame the Jews for the attacks he leads against them is by any definition not just an anti-Semite but among the most dangerous forms of that repugnant breed. Uh, okay, <laughs> this is uh, getting nasty. Um, by the way, if he is attempting to sue the ADL for defamation, uh, I think that's going to be a very, very tough fight for Elon Musk. Uh, the richest man in the world? We'll see. Uh, meanwhile, there is a new um, installment of a very complicated franchise. This, the animated version of Spider-Man. A new film uh, now available everywhere. It's called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Worth your time? Verse your time? Uh, we'll see. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. A 15-year-old Brooklyn kid named Miles Morales is the new Spider-Man in the ambitious sequel to the 2018 smash hit Into the Spider-Verse. It's called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So wait a minute, there's an elite crew with all the best spider people in it? Who's the new guy? This is unbelievable. This is the lobby. What's a guy got to do to join this spider team? Well, what you really got to do is watch the first film in order to figure out what's going on here, where spectacular animation and capable vocal talent, including Oscar Isaac and Haley Steinfeld, can't make up for the confusing complexity of an intricate saga from three different writers and three different directors. It's rated PG for plenty of comic book action, but feels like one very long two-and-a-half-hour setup to the next installment in the series. Two-and-a-half stars for the latest is Spider-Man, which has to drag you across the Spider-Verse.
And coming up uh, next time on the Michael Medved Show, uh, U.S. News unveils its 2023 Best Countries Rankings. Uh, What are the surprises there? What are the unjustified rankings? And what are those rankings based on anyway? We'll deal with that. We'll also deal with the big new Wall Street Journal College Rankings. In the top 10 is a complete surprise. Top 10 out of 500 colleges, and it's a school you've never heard of. Really, you've never heard of it. But one of the best in the country, meaning the best in the world, we will get to that. Also, China's new attempt to uh, ban clothing that may hurt the feelings of others. This sounds like the uh, university uh, regulation of Halloween costumes. No, it's actually more serious than that. And uh, we will also continue the discussion of whether you actually find out anything meaningful by looking at the favorite songs. There's only one of the candidates who picked a uh, as a song uh, a selection from classical music. Now, which candidate would have done that? It wasn't Mike Pence, wasn't Donald Trump. Uh, which of the prominent candidates put that forward? Uh, we will get to that next time. And an analysis that says that as strong as Trump's lead nationally, and it's overwhelming, in the early states, uh, Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina, Maybe, just maybe, he's more vulnerable. Does that mean a broader choice for Republicans and conservatives? We will get to that as well next time in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.